series today and um, called Baggage, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 11 and 12 to help us kind of think through some of the things that we might be carrying that we could lay down before the Lord. So I want to ask, you know, what, what are the things, or what bags did you walk in here with today, Carrie? And I don't mean, you know, if you're like my wife who comes prepared for everything, you know, one of those everything but the kitchen sink kind of things, right? I, I don't mean like literal luggage. I just mean, what are the things that you're carrying the kind of baggage people carry with them into their relationship with God. Maybe it's things like worry or regret from past sinful mistakes. Maybe maybe the baggage you carry is questions that you have. Can, can I trust God? What do I have to do to make him hear me? Would God even be able to forgive me? That's the kind of baggage I mean. And really, we all carry that kind of weight into our relationship with Jesus. You came in here today with something packed up in your metaphorical bag, and it's hindering you, potentially. Hindering you from being able to see God Fresher to be able to understand him more clearly. It may feel like he's it may feel like he's a million miles away, and, and that thing that you've got cinched up in that bag that's on your back and you're carrying it with you only makes it seem like he's further. You brought baggage here today and you may not even know it you may not realize you have things like that packed up but you probably do know some of it and for the next four weeks I want to help you learn how to lay those things down and how to live free in Jesus now I say that, I say that you can lay these things down and even that you're already doubting. You're already doubtful. Yeah, that sounds nice, Derek, but you don't know me and you don't know how things work out with me and God. Someone here in this room right now is doubting God and doubting what I just said automatically. Now, God isn't afraid of your doubts. God is not afraid of your questions. He doesn't shirk back or shrink away at those things. In fact, I would tell you that doubt can, be, can actually be a good thing. Your doubt can actually be a good thing. I don't know if you know my story or not of faith. I grew up in a Christian home. My grandmother was integral in my 
spiritual development, my mom and dad too, but my grand, my granny, because my parents worked and I stayed with my granny quite a bit and she loved the Lord and she loved his word and she taught me and my cousins uh, from his word. And so I trusted the Lord at a very young age, at the age of six, with my granny. But as I grew older and as the Lord began convicting me about things that were in my heart and my life that shouldn't be there, I began to doubt. I began to be plagued with doubt for, for years. And so I'll oftentimes kind of make a joke about it, but I was baptized four different times because I was confused and because of doubts and I wanted to get it all right and in the right order and all these kind of things. And I finally spoke with someone who helped me understand that my doubt wasn't a bad thing. My doubt was drawing me nearer to the Lord. And your doubts or your questions, God, God is not afraid of those. God doesn't look at you and, oh, how dare they? Oh my goodness, why would they doubt? God knows what is on your heart. And sometimes doubt is the tool, the thing to drive you to him. It's all in how we deal with it, though. Alistair McGrath, an Irish theologian, defender of the faith because he was once an atheist, wrote the following about doubt. He said, doubt is natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty. Man, I, I feel that. McGrath can contrast this doubt with unbelief, and that's where it gets dangerous. That's where doubt gets dangerous is when, when it becomes unbelief. He says, unbelief is the decision to live your life as if, as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. So doubt is not bad. Your questions that you may have for God are not bad. The, the baggage you came in here today, the doubt that you may have come in with today, it's not a bad thing necessarily as long as it is driving you to get your questions answered, as driving you to be more close to your Lord. So doubt is you longing to trust God in his ways. Lean into that. That's good. Sometimes even preachers have doubts. Charles Spurgeon wrestled with doubts and identified it in other ministers of the gospel. But we cannot remain there. That's the trick. Doubts are not bad, but eventually we have to lay them down. We've got to drop those bags. We can't remain in those doubts. Theologian J.C. Ryle said this about doubt. His doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. So you may have doubts, and that's okay. You don't want to stay there because that means 
you're not growing, that your faith is not increasing or it's stifled. I want to read a story to you today in Matthew chapter 11 about John the Baptist and doubts that he had. And I think this will help us understand what causes doubt and how we combat it in our life. Would you read with me Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1? And if you're able, would you stand to honor the amazing word of our Lord? When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison, John the Baptist, what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples. And he asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? That he, he literally said, are you the coming one? It was a phrase pulled from Isaiah's writings, the coming one. <clears throat> are you him or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness and see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes. See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He, John, will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to help you understand today what causes doubt, and I want to help you understand what combats doubt. And I think this passage helps us to see that. Number one, what causes doubt? Here we see, and what we understand in our own lives is that difficult situations are one of the things that causes doubt. Difficult situations. John the Baptist was literally the fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah. Not just what he did, but him as a person, exactly. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. We actually learned about this last week as we talked about his story where he says to those who come asking who he is, he says, I am one crying out in the wilderness, making straight the path of the Messiah. And John knew this. John knew very clearly that he was there to fulfill the prophecy of old, to make way and make ready the people for the Messiah to come. He'd given his very life and everything to this mission. This prophetic voice God had given him to make 
things ready for the Messiah who John had believed Jesus to be had got him into this place. He's in prison. He's in this predicament because he had given himself to this whole thing. He believed it with every fiber of his being and that's why he was in prison. John was in prison and it didn't look like he would ever get out. It didn't, there wasn't a good outcome. He was wondering if he had placed his hope in the right person or not. Isn't this what we all do? When difficult situations come in our life, am I doing the right thing? How could God allow this to happen? These are things we may ask. These are doubts we may have. I didn't do anything wrong. How am I in this situation? I did everything right. Difficult situations bring doubt into our lives, don't they? Maybe you doubt God today because of the difficult situations that were thrust upon you, perhaps even before you were able to have any connection to it at all. Many of us, many of us deal with childhood trauma that it was no issue of our own, but because of those difficult situations, it causes, it can cause us to wonder to doubt and to question God. Even now, maybe you face the hardest thing you've ever faced and you wonder, God, where are you? Do you even care? If that's you, you're not alone. You're not alone, we all doubt. Even John the Baptist wondered and questioned. But God is there. And he doesn't want you to have to stay at that place of wondering. God knows your situation. And though he doesn't deliver you from it necessarily, he'll take you through it. Though the Lord may allow, John didn't get out of prison. Just in case you don't know, he eventually got his head cut off. God allowed that to happen, but God was with John through it all. Pretty confident none of us are going to get our heads cut off, hopefully. That would be terrible. But no matter what you face, the Lord is with you through it. He knows your troubles. He cares. And this passage continues to show us that. We'll get to that in a moment, but let's look at the second thing that causes doubt. What causes doubt? Unmet expectations. John was not alone in this. Many others were thinking the same thing because what they expected Jesus to do was not what Jesus was doing. That's why John was like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Are you the coming one or should we expect another? John himself prophesied that Jesus would come and take over. 
And, and he's referencing this idea of Isaiah saying the same kind of thing. And many of Jesus' own followers, to the day he died, thought he would come and just obliterate the Roman rule and take care of the corrupt Pharisees and do all these amazing things and establish his kingdom. Remember James and John and their mom, they're like, hey, when you establish your kingdom here on earth, can we sit at your right and left? Even his own disciples who followed him assumed that he was going to establish his kingdom in an earthly way, in an earthly manner. John is looking at the same text and wondering the same things. <clears throat> they thought that Jesus would overthrow the Roman rule right away, and Jesus did not seem to be doing that. John was confused. Unmet expectations can cause doubts. But God, I thought you would do it this way. I can't imagine that God would allow that. We come to God with our own preconceived notions about how he, would, how he should handle a situation. It's oftentimes the way we would handle it. And we think God should handle his kind of stuff with our way of thinking. And that's just not how God works. God handles things in a godly way. We often don't factor in other things like human choice and sin and how God often does the things he completes in the opposite way of what anyone would imagine or think. What expectations do you thrust on to Jesus today? Are they founded or are they just things that you decided in your mind? Are they based off of scripture? Are they things that you assume that that's how God should do things? You have to be careful because what can cause doubt in our lives as Christians is that we expect God to do things God never said he would do or to do them in our way when he's gonna do it in the way he desires. So be cautious in bringing expectations that will automatically be unmet. We'll see the answer in just a moment, but let's look once more. Um, and what causes doubt? The third thing is limited perception. What causes doubt? Limited perception. Jesus could see what John never would be able to see. Because he's Jesus, he's God. The same is true in your life. You and I only see one angle, and usually it's the one we want to see. But Jesus sees all. Past, present, future, all at once. He sees the depths of people's hearts and you and I and John do not have that supernatural ability. So we must trust what we do not know to the Lord and ask him to help us to trust 
we don't see the whole pig, the whole picture. Now remember, it's that's hard. That's why we doubt. And doubt's not necessarily a bad thing. But what's the answer to doubt? What, how do we combat doubt in our life? Number one, we combat doubt with biblical revelation. These are the very words of God Almighty. When we have difficult situations, when we have unmet expectations, when we have limited perception, what do we do? Do we go to this? Or do we ask our friends? Or do we look at social media? Or we Google it? That's a bad idea, y'all. This is. If I have doubt, why would I not go to the very Jesus was walking with his disciples. He just fed the 5,000. All these people are following him. But he said some hard stuff. They don't like it. And so they said, you know what? We're, we're fed. We're taken care of. This guy's saying some weird stuff. Let's get out of here. And Jesus kind of turns around. All that's left is his 12 disciples. And he says to them, hey, are you going to leave too? This is one of those moments where Peter speaks up and it was a good thing. A lot of times he put his foot in his mouth, but this is one of those good moments. And Peter says, and I just imagine it's like this. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the only son of God. Where else would we go? I ask you, why would you go anywhere else? God has revealed himself to you and I. It's not in a cloud in the sky. It's not in some, you know, magnanimous you know, vision necessarily. He's given us his word. You and I can know him deeply and intimately because he's shown us who he is. And he's shown himself to be faithful and true time and time again. And you and I can go to the word of God and deal with our doubts there. Don't neglect God's word. Don't neglect your Bible this year. Read it. Pour through it. Let it wash over you and change you and give you life and give you wisdom to face the things that you're facing. Go to the word of God humbly and say, Jesus, speak to me. And friends, he will. He will speak to you. He will show you what you need to see. He will give you the sustenance to change and to grow your life in him.
Don't go anywhere else. Go to the Word of God. Why do we stand each week when we read the Word of God? Why do I say, after reading it, this is the Word of God, and why do we say, thanks be to God? It's not just to do it. It's not just to say those things. It's to embed in our hearts that this is the source of life for you and I. That these words are meaningful, powerful, and life-altering. I'd encourage you to read through the Bible if you can. But even if that's difficult, and I realize it is, you just go to it every day and ask for God to show you his wisdom. I don't mean for us to go to it in a haphazard, cursory type of way, but to dive deep into his depths and mine for the goal that is there to help guide you in your life. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, the moment he tells John the things that he says, the the blind will see, the gospel is going out, the good news, he's literally quoting Isaiah. He's quoting the other passages that John was asking about when he says, are you the coming one? Passages that talk about a conquering king, but also talk about this one that is healing people and giving sight to the blind and giving lame people the ability to walk and people to hear for the first time and people to see spiritually for the first time. Jesus is literally quoting the word of God and he reminds John of that. John would know that. John would see that and have consolation. But he would also have confidence. Oh yeah, that's Jesus. He's the coming one. He's fulfilling the prophecy just as he said he would. Just in a different way than what I expected, but it's still the same. And it gave John confidence to walk into that room and have his head chopped off for the glory of God. And it gives you and I the confidence to walk in Christ day in and day out. To live our lives trusting in him. To face whatever we face. And there's people in this room facing hard stuff. Cancer. The, the, the fact you may be facing death of a loved one or loss of job or difficulty. And I know we're facing hard times. We came in with our bags packed. But Jesus wants you to place them down at his feet today. To trust him. The second thing that combats doubt is joyful submission. Verse 6 says, Jesus said, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Do not be offended by Jesus. It's to fully trust him. Jesus is saying to John and to you and I, I am here. I am who I say I am, and I will be who you need me to be. But I'm going to need you to trust me. 
Do you trust Jesus? Like really? Like really trust him? Like not just, oh yeah, I trust Jesus. But no, what are you doing to show you trust him? Are you living your life saying, Jesus is my only source of sustenance and hope? Are you truly trusting Jesus? If you trust him, you will submit to his word and live your life for him. Not a mere check off the religious list that you may have been told your whole life. Coming to church is not enough. Praying every day is not enough. These religious rote exercises that you don't even think about, you just do them. That's not what this is. This is, and those things, it's, you still do those things, but it's you do them out of the heart of knowing Christ and living your life for him. And then it's like, oh, I want to do these things. Not I'm doing because I have to. It's this slight turn of the dial, but there's, when you turn it that way, it's significant. You joyfully submit yourself to him. And sometimes that means saying, I'm not sure I'm not sure that I don't still have some doubts, but I believe you are for me, Lord, and that you're with me, and that I could submit to you in the midst of my doubts. I know I've gone long today. I'm, I'm coming close, I promise. I've got a, a third thing. What combats doubt? Defending unity. Jesus did something here so significant so meaningful and I'm fearful that if we don't pause here for a moment and look at this we'll miss a true treasure that we all need he sent John's disciples on their way but then he begins to turn and talk to the crowd where some might be listening in and think oh my goodness John's falling John's slipping John's backsliding. How is he not trusting Jesus? Jesus turns immediately and begins not to bash John for his doubts. Jesus goes above and beyond to lift him up. I think we'd all be a little flustered. I can't believe he doubts who I say I am if, if we were Jesus. But Jesus automatically begins speaking life into John. Now, word may have never gotten back to John about this because the disciples already left. But Jesus says such uplifting things about him. He says he's a prophet. Oh, yeah, he's a prophet. The best. He, in fact, he says no one born of woman is better than you. Oh, man, what kind of compliment is that? You want to make me feel good? Look at the scripture and how Jesus complimented John. I mean, not that I'm... As on the same level as John, but man, golly, that would inject some excitement into me, right? No one better born of woman. What an amazing way to say that. Jesus speaks life into John. Jesus is defending the unity of the message that they were both sharing. Jesus knew the ridicule and what it was like that John received 
Jesus knew what it was like to receive death threats. Jesus knew his fate was worse than John's, and he maintained the unity of that. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We all face difficulties in our life. And sometimes Christians are the first to chew somebody else up and spit them out for what they're going through. Shame on us. Shame on us if we do that. Can we just give some grace to people who are going through hard times and be there with them and lift them up and walk with them? Can we defend the unity God has called us all to? Can we not beat people down when tough things happen in their lives? Christians really can be the worst to eat our own. Let's take an example from Jesus and lift each other up. Hey, I've had my doubts. Let me tell you how I laid them down at the feet of Jesus. You can too. Let's stop pretending that we're all perfect and we've never done anything wrong because we all know that's a lie. And let's just say to one another, I know you're facing a difficulty. I've done the same. I've been in a hard spot too. But I found life at the feet of Jesus. And you can too. And let's usher people to the Lord. Let's don't beat people down. Let's usher them to the Lord and his graces. Let us respond today. I wonder if you might even come here to the altar and lay down your baggage. Jesus tells us to cast our cares on him and bring our heavy loads and he will help us to carry them. He will lessen the weight of them. Will you come to Jesus and bring him your baggage so you can live free and travel like Jesus? Help us, help us to come to you with our worries, with our doubts, with our questions, knowing that you do not turn us away, but you welcome us in. You say, is anyone burdened? Is anyone heavy laden? Let him come to me, because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Help people to come to you today, Lord, and lay down <coughs> their baggage at your feet. Would you move even now? In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you bring your burdens to the Lord today as we sing? His grace is amazing and our chains are broken because of His amazing grace. Would you sing that with us and would you respond to Jesus today?